Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are learning the fifth section of Parshat Naso today. Yesterday we began the section on uh, Nazir, and today we will complete the section on Nazir. We read in the eighth verse, the last verse that we read yesterday, that the Nazir achieves a status of holiness. This leads us to a well-known comparison between the Nazir and the Kohen Gadol. Let us outline some of the major elements of the comparison. The Nazir has a total prohibition to come in contact with the dead, including his close relatives. He's not allowed to attend a funeral or anything of the likes for his father, mother, or any other close relatives. The Kohen Gadol, exactly the same. As opposed to other Kohanim who are prohibited to come in contact with the dead in general, but are permitted to come in contact with their relatives, the Kohen Gadol is not allowed to come in contact with the dead at all, exactly like the Nazir. The Kohen Gadol, the, pardon me, the Nazir has a prohibition to drink wine always. Now, the Kohanim have a prohibition to drink wine. We read in Sefer Vayikra, chapter 10, verse 8, that Aaron has commanded that he and his sons, the Kohanim, are prohibited from drinking wine when entering the Mishkan to serve God. This translates itself in Halakha, that Kohanim, who know that they're working that day, are not allowed to uh, drink wine even the night before and certainly not the morning of that they're serving. And perhaps there's reason to suspect that a broader po prohibition would then exist for a Kohen Gadol as well because a Kohen Gadol is expected to be ready for service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. I never found any explicit um, halachic uh, source that relates to this, but it seems to be a logical conclusion. Here, when we come to the hair, there's actually a comparison through contrast. The Nazir is commanded to grow his or her hair, as opposed to the Kohen Gadol, who's not allowed to let his hair grow wild. In the Torah, this is said explicitly with regard to the Kohen Gadol, though expanded based on the results of the death in which Nadav Avihu, in the death of Nadav Avihu, where all the Kohanim were prohibited to grow their hair, and more so in, Yosefer, in Sefer Yechezkel. But in Sefer Yechezkel, it says regarding the Kohanim only when they're serving in the Mikdash, as opposed to the Kohen Gadol, who is always prohibited from letting his hair grow. So here the comparison between the Kohen Gadol and the Nazir is a comparison through contrast. Then let's look at the actual words about the Nazir. The Torah says in the verse that we read last time, Kinezer Elohav al Rosho, the crown of God is on his head. And about the Kohen Gadol, it says, Kinezer Shemen Mishchat Elohav Alav the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. So both of them are crowned. The Nazir is crowned with his hair, and the Kohen Gadol is crowned with the anointing oil. And finally, the Pasuk that, uh, all the days of his Nazarite oath, he is holy to God, and the Kohen Gadol, God says, I am God God who makes him holy. So in fact, this is a very powerful statement of the ability of the Nazir, a regular man or woman, to seemingly achieve, even if temporarily, a status similar or level of sanctity similar to the Kohen Gadol. This comparison brings to the fore a big debate or tension between the element of choice in the Torah, which predetermines the status of a person by his or her birthright, what family they were born to, like a Kohen and a Levi status, and perhaps the Davidic dynasty, and the element of democracy in the Torah, that the choices we make are what make a man or woman and not their birthright. In this context, we will mention two teachings of Chazal. 
Chazal teaches halachically, mamzer talmid chacham kodem lekohen gadol am haaretz. A a bastard who is a talmid chacham, is a scholar, is preferred over a kohen gadol who is an am haaretz, who is who is a base person who doesn't know anything. In Pirkei Avot, the the Mishnah compares the crown of kehuna, the crown of monarchy, and the crown of Torah. And the Mishnah in Masechet Avot states that the crown of Torah is superior to the other two implying that the that greatness and achievement that we achieve by our own actions, hard work and decisions are more valued than greatness we achieve by birthright. So to hear the comparison between the Nazir and the Kohen Gadol implies that while a man is not entitled to choose to be a, the Kohen Gadol, he or she are entitled to work hard and achieve a parallel level of sanctity. Now we will return to our verses. We are now at verse 9. Vichiamut met alav befeta pitom, vetime rosh nizro, vigilach rosho beom tahorato, bayom hashevi yigalahenu. But if a man dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his dedicated head of hair, then he shall shave his head on the day when he becomes clean, he shall shave it on the seventh day. Uvayom hashemini, yavi shete torim, o shene beneona, el hakohen, el petach, o el moed. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the Kohen, to the doorway of the tent of meeting to the Mishkan. Verse 11, The Kohen shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make atonement for him concerning his sin because of the dead person. And that same day he shall consecrate his head. And he shall dedicate to Hashem his days as a Nazarite, and shall bring a male lamb, a year old, for a guilt offering. But the former, former days will be void because the separation was defiled. This section describes an accident that happens within the plan of the Nazir, who is not supposed to become impure from contact with a dead person, but it accidentally happened. This demands, one, that he shave his hair on the seventh day. The seventh day of what? This refers to the seven days that one is impure from contact with a dead body. The impure person is sprinkled with the water with the ashes of the red heifer on the third day and the seventh day of this week of impurity. So on the day of the culmination of this process, the Nazir shaves his hair. Number two, he brings two birds, doves or pigeons, one as an ola and one as a chatat, chatat offering. Number three, he brings a sheep as an asham, a guilt offering. And number four, he starts the Nazarite period from the beginning. Beginning the, the Nazarite period from the beginning, of course, involves him shaving his head and starting the process from the beginning. So that's a fifth clause, essentially. Let's note the, fo the following several points about this section. This section, as we debated previously about what is the main uh, engine behind the Nazir of the three prohibitions of the Nazir, this section seems to imply that it is the prohibition to become impure from a dead body that is the most defining feature. Becoming impure undoes the count of the Nazir, demands a series of offerings, and demands that the Nazarite period start from the beginning. No parallel section of laws exists for a Nazir who drinks wine or his hair was cut. In Halakha, a Nazir who drinks wine is punished but it does not undermine the days of the Nazarite period he's already counted at all. A Nazir who cuts his hair only undermines his Nazarite period if he cuts the majority of his hair. But this is not mentioned in our section in the Torah, only in Halakha.
However, if we read our verses carefully, we will see that the reason that the Torah gives that the impurity from the dead body undermines the Nazarite period is rosh nizro, because he defiled his head. This might imply that the defining feature of the Nazir is growing pure hair. And if the Nazir comes in contact with a dead person, it is problematic with regard to the obligation of growing the hair and not as an independent value. In the offerings that the Nazir brings, when he becomes when, when he becomes impure, it is clear he is atoning for something. It says, He atones. The simple understanding of this verse is that he is atoning for coming in contact with a dead person, from which he was prohibited. This verse will be significant in our concluding, concluding discussions of the Nazir. We'll just point it out now. However, in the meantime, this verse brings into question a broader question of the attitude of the Torah towards vows. In Kohelet, chapter 5, verse 4, it states, Tov asher lotidor, mishetidor velotishalem. Better you should not take a vow than take a vow and not fulfill the vow. As we've mentioned, the Nazir's vow is compiled of three components. Prohibition to cut hair, prohibition to drink wine and eat grape products, and prohibition to come in contact with the dead. The first two usually do not happen accidentally. One chooses when to cut one's hair. According to Chazal, the prohibition to eat grape products is the Torah itself keeping the Nazir away from the main prohibition of drinking wine. This is something usually done by rabbinic decree, but Chazal actually learned the need to distance oneself from sin, from the Torah distancing the Nazir from wine by prohibiting all grape products. So likewise, it would be very unlikely for a Nazir to consume a grape product accidentally. We choose what we eat. Not so the third prohibition. Verse 9 begins with the words, Surprisingly, accidentally, suddenly. No one suspects a Nazir to purposely come in contact with a dead person. He took a vow not to. But in a sudden, surprising way, he could if he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, just as someone dies. But the Torah has a concept, Onis Rahmana Patre. The Torah exempts one from punishment when they sinned in a way that was out of his or her control. If an Azir was in a traffic accident and found himself next to and in contact with a dead person, can we find him liable? Can we blame him? To answer this, we must understand two points. When it comes to impurity, we are not talking about blame or sin, but a halachic reality. A Nazir may not become impure from contact with a dead person, and this Nazir has. Whether we assess blame or not, he is factually impure and must begin the process again. The second point brings us back to our initial question about vows. A Nazir who comes in contact with a dead person, not by mistake, but out of his control, brings three offerings, an Olah, a Chatat, and an Asham. This for an action that he that had he not vowed would be completely permissible. We're, if we're not a Kohen, we're allowed to come in contact with a dead person. We do it. We go to funerals. We go to we go we we come in contact with dead persons. In contrast, a Jew who forgot it was Shabbat and cooked himself an egg has to offer one offering, a chatat offering. He actually chose to cook an egg, but was careless and forgot it was Shabbat. Still, just one offering. The Nazir was in a traffic accident. And he came in contact with the dead, completely out of his control, and he's bringing three. The Nazir is taking a risk. He can lead a regular life and keep the Torah's commandments, and that is perfectly acceptable. 
he or she choose a more difficult route in order to achieve a higher level of sanctity, in order to parallel the sanctity of the Kohen Gadol. That involves not only a more prohibitive lifestyle, but also paying the price, even if failing was not his or her fault. Thus, an Azir who chose this lifestyle out of free will pays a greater price, three offerings for a more minor event, than a person who committed a transgression, but in something that he has no choice in the matter. Like Shabbat. We're all obligated in Shabbat. We have no choice. Therefore, perhaps, better not to take an oath than to take an oath and not fulfill it. We move on to verse 13. Vizot Torah Hanazir Biyom Melot Yavi Oto El Petach Ohel Moed. Now this is the law of the Nazarite when the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall bring the offering to the doorway of the tent of meeting. Here we move to the Nazir's offerings that he brings as planned when he completes his Nazarite period, as opposed to the previous section where he was bringing offerings for something that was not supposed to happen. Halacha states that if not stated otherwise, the minimal Nazarite period is 30 days, but if the Nazir wants to, he can take a vow for a longer time. The term Yavi Oto is a vague statement. Yavi Oto, bring what? We translated it, he shall bring the offerings. And this is how the Rashbam explains these words. However, this does not seem to be the pshat. Rashi and others suggest, Yavi et atzmo, he will bring himself. The Nazir who achieved an elevated state of sanctity is offering himself, as we will further discuss. So what does the Nazir have to bring? Verse 14, we continue reading. V'ikrivet korbano ladonai, keves ben shnato tamim echad le'ola, v'chavsa achat bat shenatah temima lechatat, v'ayil echad tamim lishlamim. He shall present his offering to Hashem, one male lamb, a year old, without defect for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without defect for a sin offering, and one ram, without defect for a peace offering. Verse 15, And a basket of unleavened cakes, of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil, along with their grain offering and their drink offering. Then the Kohen shall offer them before Hashem, and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. He shall also offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings to Hashem, together with the basket of unleavened cakes. The Kohen shall likewise offer its grain offering and its drink offering. So if we summarize the offerings that the Nazir must bring, he brings a male sheep as an olah offering, a female sheep as a chatat offering, a ram for a shlamim offering, two types of matzot in a basket that are offered together with the shlamim, the peace offering. Once again, a heavy load of korbanot, a heavy load of offerings that we can understand in the context of what we previously discussed, that he went into the situation of free will. Verse 18. 
the Nazarite shall then shave his dedicated head, head of hair at the doorway of the tent of meeting and take the dedicated hair of his head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of peace offerings. The Nazir actually shaves his hair and offers it on the altar. This might be the meaning of the words we previously mentioned, Yavi Oto, in verse 13. He brings his Nazarite oath, and the physical manifestation of that is bringing his hair to the altar. Once again, this might imply that the defining feature of the Nazir is growing the hair for two reasons. Number one, the fact that the Kohen must shave at the end of the Nazarite period implies that the end is signified by stopping the defining feature. In contrast, for example, a Nazir is not obligated to become impure to a dead body. Number two, it is actually offered on the altar, showing that there was actual significance to the hair. The hair grew from a man or woman who became holy. As a result, the hair, their hair can be offered as something holy, something that in general is not something that we offer. Additionally, the offering of the Nazir's hair might be the equivalent or the symbolic act which shows that the Nazir offered him or herself to God by offering an actual part of him or herself. Verse 19, the Kohen shall take the ram's shoulder when it has been boiled, and one unleavened cake out of the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his dedicated hair. Then the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before Hashem. It is, it is holy for the Kohen together with the breast offered by waving and the thigh offered by lifting up, and afterward the Nazarite may drink wine. So the sacrificial rite is described in which the, their, a portion of the, of the offering is waved with the Kohen and the Nazir together. It is interesting to note that the Torah actually calls continues to call the Nazir a Nazir after he shaved his head. He puts it on the hands of the Nazir after he shaves his head. This is something that will relate to what we discussed shortly. And finally, verse 20 describes the portion of the Shlamim that always goes to the Kohen, the Chazet Nufa, the Shokat Truma, the breast and the thigh. And after this whole process, the Nazir must drink wine. This might imply that the defining feature of the Nazir is the prohibition to drink wine. The fact that the Nazir must drink wine at the end of the Nazarite period implies that the end is signified by stopping the defining feature. Like we said, in contrast, the Nazir is not obligated to become impure, but he is obligated to shave his head, and therefore the Torah has given in this regard two different indications. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows his offerings to Hashem according to his separation, in addition to what else he can afford, according to his vow which he takes, so he shall do according to the law of his separation. Verse 21 thus implies that the Nazir is allowed to add additional offerings at the conclusion of his Nazarite period 
in addition to the Chatat, Ola, and Shlamim that the Torah obligates him to bring. Some concluding remarks regarding Nazir. Seemingly, this is a sacrificial text which belongs in Vayikra. Why is it here in Sefer Bemidbar? In this vein, it's similar to the Sota earlier in our parasha, which is a long detailed sacrificial rite which takes place in the Mishkan, but also is placed in Sefer Bemidbar. There is also a literary connection between the Sota and the Nazir, Ufara et Rosh Ha'isha, he uncovers or unkempts the woman's head, and Gadel Pera Se'arosho, the Nazir is commanded to let his hair grow wild. And of course, they're juxtaposed next to each other, and we discussed in the previous shiur the connection between the two, that refraining from wine might be a solution to the adulterous behavior that is described around the sotah. Why are they here in Sefer Bemidbar? The sotah is taking a problem in the camp and solving it in the Mishkan. The Nazir is stating that the Kedushah that stems from the Mishkan is not limited to the Mishkan, Kohanim and Leviim. Rather, every simple man or woman who lives in the Machaneh can achieve the status of a Nazir, equivalent, similar to the status of the Kohen Gadol, the democratic answer of the Torah to the Kohen status that is transferred by birth. Thus, while the Nazir and the Sotah are about sacrificial rites, they are about sacrificial rites that relate to the regular people in the Machaneh, thus, in the camp, thus placing it in Sefer Bemidbar as opposed to Sefer Vayikra. Is the Nazir a holy man or a sinner? On the verse, Me'asher Chata al Hanefesh, that he atones for sinning on a soul, Rashi quotes Rabbi Elazar HaKapar, that it is because he, might, he made himself suffer by not having wine, he has to atone for himself. That implies that being an Azir itself is a sinful state. In response to this, we must state two points. Number one, that is an incorrect context of the Pasuk. The Pasuk is referring to an Azir who actually did something problematic by becoming impure, and therefore he has to atone from becoming impure, even if it was accidental as we discussed. Likewise, all the evidence in the verse, in the, on our verses imply that an Azir is an elevated and holy status like a Kohen Gadol. However, an Azir who did not become impure and completed his Nazarite oath also brings a sin offering. Why? What is the sin? The Ramban on verse 14 states, because he is stopping his holy state. In other words, the Nazir has achieved a great status, the fact that he's stopping it now is problematic, and that demands the Chatat, the sin offering. But we previously mentioned that the Nazir is called a Nazir even after he cuts his hair and, and at the culmination of the Nazarite process. And this might imply that even though he is technically stopping the Nazir lifestyle that he has, has, has developed for himself, he has, in fact, achieved a higher level of status that he's supposed to continue even without the prohibitions and the limitations of the Nazir. Similar to something that we say with regards to the Amim Tovim. The Amim Tovim, the holidays, we do not wish that they just pass us and we achieve a holy status during the holidays, but rather we hope that they have impacted us and we walk away from the holidays with an elevated status into our everyday life. So too, the Nazir, who has achieved a higher status through 
the prohibitions and through the offerings, he should take that into his everyday life. However, one more uh, point about the the Khatat offering that the Nazir brings at the end of his Nazarite period. We have been calling the Khatat, for lack of a better term, a sin offering. But that might be an incorrect translation. While there are Khatat offerings that directly relate to sin, for example, we mentioned someone who accidentally cooked an egg on Shabbat, there are instances in which the Khatat offering simply does not relate, relate to sin. A Nazir might be one of them, a Nazir who completed his oath, he might not be sinful. A post-childbirth woman who is obligated to bring a sin offering might be another example. While there are opinions that try very hard to pin a sin to the Nazir and the post-childbirth woman, those opinions I find personally not very convincing and therefore demand a different definition for chatat rather than sin, perhaps from the Hebrew word chitui, meaning cleansing. Cleansing does not have to imply a sin, but rather moving to a new stage of life. The post-birth stage of life, the post-nazir stage of life, demands addressing this stage and moving on. We've completed then the section on the nazir, and tomorrow we'll continue and complete the sixth and final section of Parashat Nassau.